Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today we're going to talk about the growth potential in the suicidal experience. And this is coming from that suicide prevention webinar series that I took uh, a few weeks ago. And I've, I've been posting some episodes about what I've learned, the key takeaways. And to this webinar was presented by Dr. DeQuincy Mifrin Lazine. Um, I, I'm butchering his name, but I will put it in the show notes so that you have it. But, but I, there were so many key things from this webinar that I thought were beneficial. But before we get into it, let's take a big inhale. And exhale through the mouth. Ah. And just get grounded in your body, in your fingers, your toes. Take one more big inhale. And exhale through the mouth. Ah. All right. So we're talking about the growth potential in the suicidal experience. He starts off talking about what is trauma. And he basically says that trauma is this overwhelming experience that shatters our feeling of safety, predictability, and control. And so basically, you know, you imagine you're a kid, you're going along, and the world is all peaches and cream, sunshine and roses, birds are singing. And then there's physical abuse, neglect, bullying, domestic violence, divorce. Maybe there's an accident, someone dies, um, and you know some whatever other traumas that may take place. And so our, our sense of safety, predictability, and control, all of that gets shattered. And we've been exposed to an actual or perceived threat, injury, or violence, right? Because sometimes a physical abuse doesn't happen, but there's a threat of abuse. We're never actually touched. There's a threat of someone being taken away. They, they never actually go, but, but we just have this sense. So anything that shatters our a feeling of safety, predictability, and control is considered trauma. And, and I want to emphasize this because a lot of times I hear people say, well, I haven't had any traumatic experiences. Um, you know, that guy with, with uh, one arm and lost his family in a fire, like that guy's been through trauma. And sometimes the trauma is unseen. It's not tangible. We, we can't, uh, you know, put our hands on it. It's not picked up by others. And so if you just have a sense of a kid that um, so your, your safety is, is a threat, I mean, I'll give you an example. Like my mom, just wor- watching my mom work two jobs and, you know, still struggling to pay the rent every month, to me, that shattered my idea of safety. Like I was like, "Wow, every month we we are just 
making it at the cutoff. So I that's why I always had a job. I had a job since I was nine. And I just always have that threat of that feeling of like not being safe, like I could be out on the streets at any time. So you may have that for you and, and validate that, acknowledge that. Um, but like I said, this is about growth potential in a suicidal experience. So we're going to get to that growth part here uh, pretty soon. So what are the effects of trauma, right? Because we've, if we've acknowledged that there was a traumatic experience, how does that affect us according to this webinar? And he says that, it affects our emotional processing. So we have this part of our brain called the amygdala. And, and that's where, you know, our, our fight, flight, freeze response is typically stored. And so that can be overactivated, overstimulated. So our abilities to, to uh, monitor or to respond to things instead of reacting to things uh, that becomes dysregulated. So our ability to process our emotions, our ability to self-soothe, our ability to, to cope with stressors, whether real or perceived, all of those things become hijacked. Our hippocampus, our memory. So now our, our, our memory is impaired in that we only remember the threats, the dangers, the, the lack of safety, and we, we have little memory for, for the peace and serenity and tranquility. Um, you know, we just remember all the hard times. And I think this is, you see this even in people who start making money, right? And they just want to keep making more money. A lot of them, if they came from poverty, all they remember is the poverty. They, they really can't enjoy the money that's coming in. You may be in a very healthy relationship, but because you, you know, all you remember is the abuse you suffered from your parents or from siblings or, you know, family, friends or strangers, it, it might make it hard for you to accept and even acknowledge or even realize that you are currently now in a healthy memory uh, uh, relationship. Because your memory is impaired. You remember all the pain and the hurt, uh, but you're not remembering the love and the care and support. Also, uh, the other effect of trauma on our brain is the prefrontal cortex. That's where we make decisions. So now we are making decisions typically based out of fear instead of out of really thinking about what are our needs and our wants, right? Um, and what is going to help us to think three days, three months, three years ahead? You know, I, I notice that when I'm stressed, all I'm thinking about is the moment, the right now. I'm, I'm, I'm frozen in time. When I'm relaxed, I'm getting a massage, going for a walk, uh, taking a bath, having, you know, a, a nice soothing conversational lunch with friends, all of a sudden I'm future cast. I'm thinking about the future. I'm planning it out. I'm looking forward to it. I am excited by it. Uh, but, you know, 
when I'm stressed, I am not in the prefrontal cortex. So that gets hijacked. And we know that the prefrontal cortex uh, really is not fully online for most people until about the age of 25. For women, it's a little earlier, but on average, we're looking about 25 for most people. And this is why, you know, young kids are, are making, you know, crazy decisions. And then they go, I don't know what I was thinking. You weren't. You were you were mostly uh, <laughs> uh, amygdala, you were, right? Um, and then the other thing is that um, our immune system gets hijacked when we have early exposure to traumas, especially retreat, repeated and chronic trauma. So trauma in itself is natural. Everyone experiences some level of trauma. Uh, but if we've been exposed to or perceive repeated uh, amounts of, of feeling threatened, of a threat to our safety, of, our, of what is in our control and predictability, if, we don't, if we've never felt stable, then that is going to compromise our immune system. I mean, this is part of why like, traveling is so stressful because we're, we're the, the predictability, the, you know, you're hoping you're going to get there, you're, you're giving up control to some extent to the pilot, or when I think of travel, I mean flying, um, and, and safety, like, you know, the plane shakes, there's turbulence and all that. So, uh, but that compromised feeling of safety that boosts our cortisol levels. And so we're just constantly flooded with cortisol, which then makes it hard for us to digest foods, absorb nutrients, and get a great night's sleep, which obviously then impacts our cardiovascular system. So this is why someone who can look like they're healthy because they're thin and they exercise, but if they're, but a lot, but some people, if you are working out, um, ex- exhaustively and extensively because you're stressed, you're only adding more stress to your body, which then compromises your immune system, your ability to sleep and absorb nutrients. Um, so when we have experienced a, a traumatic experience and especially repeated chronic uh, exposure to traumatic experiences, we can feel hopeless, uh, relationship disruption, social isolation, uh, emotional dysregulation, and then we just become reactive. So where is the growth in all of this, right? I love how he laid this out. There's four steps to post-traumatic growth. First, there is coping with the traumatic incident, right? Whatever that looks like, whether you cry it out, journal, talk to a therapist, uh, go to group therapy, um, make amends, like however you cope with the traumatic experience, put some distance between yourself and that. And then there's the recovery. And and I, I I never thought about this. Recovery is just getting yourself back to baseline, getting yourself back to where you were, right? So like if you break your leg, uh, recovery would just be getting you back to where your leg was before it was broken. It's not an improvement. 
It's just getting you back to where you were. So this is why you hear people say, like, I'm 70% recovered or I'm 80% recovered. And, you know, like I tore my meniscus in my right knee um, and I'm functional and I can do a lot of things, but I'm not 100% recovered. It's just not, it's not going to be the same. um, It's, you know, and so if I took a lot of hits on that knee, it would become more and more compromised. The third part of post-traumatic growth is meaning. So to attach a meaning to it, uh, a lot of times we get stuck in ruminating about the, the traumatic experience and what's happened to us. And what he's saying is find a meaning in it in a, in, in a meaning in a way that empowers you, emboldens you, gives you hope so that you can move forward. You know, like when Oprah, I remember Oprah was sexually assaulted and she told herself that this person who was doing this must be so damaged and a, and must have had such a, a, a tough childhood that now they are doing this to me. And that allowed her to not personalize what was happening, right? So when you're working with a therapist or with a coach or, you know, whoever, they can help you frame a meaning to what has happened to you so that you feel empowered so that, um, or at the very least, it takes the emotional intensity out of it, the emotional charge, so that every time you think about it, it doesn't trigger you to do something reactive, impulsive, or self-sabotaging. And then once we've gone from coping to recovery, to meaning, then we have change. And that's where the growth happens. That's where we're, sur- we're surpassing our uh, pre-existing quality of life. We've improved our quality of life, but now we're, we've surpassed where we were before the traumatic event even happened. So like taking the example of my knee, that would be like if... Um, before my knee injury, I was able to leg press 300 pounds. And now after my knee injury, I can leg press 400 pounds. That would be growth. And so growth for us emotionally or psychologically would look like um, the ability to handle more stressful situations as they come up down the road versus, uh, you know, any type of stressor, any type of abuse or perceived threat or unsolvable problem or pain or pressure dysregulating us. Now we've expanded the window of tolerance and ability to respond to stressful situations or or real or perceived threats in our life that would show growth, right? Um, part of that post-traumatic growth is reflection. And the way he describes reflection is there's two types. There's the negative rumination where we're obsessive, where we're just obsessing about what happened, which only increases anxiety and depression. And then there's positive rumination, which is reflection, 
which is a controlled exploration, finding meaning and integrating the experience. So a lot of times when we have these traumatic experiences, we want to cut them out, suppress them, deny them, not talk about it. Uh, But if we integrate it, then we make it part of our, our story, our hero's journey, our, uh, our path forward. It can add actual meaning to our life. For instance, if we've lost someone in a car accident, um, instead of obsessing over, like, why did I lose this person in a car accident, we could uh, integrate it and say, wow, I, you know, I lost this person in a car accident. My grieving process uh, was was really long and painful. Maybe I can create a program to help other people who've lost someone in a car accident, or create a program to reduce car accidents. Or you know, uh, I know people who like if there's an area where there's a lot of car accidents, they'll you know lobby to put up street signs. So they'll integrate it into their life. They'll they'll attach meaning to it, like. This is a sign that this is a, a, a problem that not only I have, but other people have. And so how can I lessen the pain or pressure that I've been through to help others, right? So that's where that meaning is. That's where the integration is. And that's where the controlled exploration also comes from. And I think more in that controlled exploration is, you know, what part did I play? What can I um where am I now? Do I feel safe now? Do I feel uh, like I have some, uh, you know, what can I control now? And then what, how do I want to use this to serve others and help other people so that hopefully they don't have to go through the full experience that I went through, right? Whether that means starting a group or a meeting or uh, writing a book about it, whatever that looks like for you. So we want to view post-traumatic growth as character growth, right? Meaning focusing on kindness and gratitude for when others have been helpful for us, Um, you know, focusing on spirituality. When we can do those things, all of those areas increase. Our courage increases. Our ability to manage and take risks increase. So we can find meaning in post-traumatic growth by A, um, exploring our optimism, right? And optimism is the belief in the possibility of there being something positive or meaningful within the crisis. So we, we want to, and, and it means not finding the crisis is optimistic, but finding something um, meaningful in the crisis. What piece of that um, was something positive did it, did it bring you closer to your family? You know, if we're talking about physical abuse, the physical abuse, yes, that was brutal. It was painful. It may have uh, been financially draining, what have you. But maybe that brought you closer to a family member or a friend member or allowed another family member or friend to open up about their experience. And so it increased the intimacy and bond between you and someone else. Or it maybe it launched a program to prevent this from happening for other people. Uh, and then B, in terms of finding meaning, is social support, right? Once again, helping us to integrate things into our life experience and 
narrative versus uh, suppressing it, pushing it to the side. So when something, when we have a traumatic experience, it can actually increase the support that we receive from other people and, and also the communication. All of a sudden, now um, they're seeing other sides to us and we're seeing other sides to them. When you look at social media, people are just posting the best, their best sides. No one's really talking about the, the traumatic experiences that they've been through, even though chances are we've all been through some challenges um, and, and things and, and feelings of, or moments where we didn't feel safe or where that safety was compromised. Um, and then C in terms of finding meaning is a positive reappraisal, right? Focusing on extracting meaning and benefit from the experience. So I hope that helps you just um, unpack how to find meaning, how to reflect. And he also goes into talking about post-traumatic growth and reflection in suicidal context. He said, this is a chance for us to explore our values, which are what are our beliefs? What are our priorities? List those things. Write those out. What do you believe? What do you prioritize right now in this very moment, right? So you can address those and, and look at what is serving you and what is not serving you. And then look at your social circle, right? Look at your family, your friends, and their history. And meaning that a lot of times when we go through a traumatic experience, we're so caught up in just the negative aspects of it. But if we look at our family, friends, and their history, then we can find also signs of resilience and grit and, um, and humor and, and, and community in the experience. Because if our family and friends have also been through a similar experience, or maybe you feel like you haven't been the only one, but you'll find that through your family and friends and their history, they've been through challenging times. And you can discover how did they work through it? How did they cope? How did they uh, find meaning? How did they recover? And then you can use that to empower yourself so that you don't feel alone. So, you know, we don't all have to go through the same experience. It's just a recognition that what my experience looks like is going to look different from yours. But at the end of the day, we still... um, went through what felt like a threat to our safety and our, uh, our, our sense of control and how do we move forward and find meaning in that. So he continues to say that post, and he calls it post-suicidal growth. I thought that was interesting, right? He said it happens in loops and stages. And, and I want to highlight that because a lot of times when we think about growth, we think about going straight up. Like, all right, I was at I was at one, now I'm at ten, now I'm at fifty, then I go to a hundred. And what he's saying is it happens in loops and stages. So it's not a linear growth. It can be up and down and all around. Over time we're looking at growth. It's a pattern of growth, but it, it's not a straight line to the top. And the first thing we want to do is make sure that we're stabilized, right? And reconnected. Um, and then the second part is growth, which entails reflection 
and transformation. So after we've had the trauma, the first thing we want to do is get stabilized. Is you know, it's like if, if I break my knee, then the first thing I want to do is uh, put something around it so it doesn't move as much. I want to stabilize the knee, and then I want to uh, recover. I said reconnected earlier. My, my apologies. I meant recover, and then re, you know work on recovering, getting the knee back to the baseline, and then we can focus on growth, which entails reflection and transformation. Right? He said that uh, post-traumatic growth or post-suicidal growth transforms suicide prevention into life promotion. I love that. So. When we are in the acute stages, when something has happened and we are feeling suicidal, we want to get us, ourselves stabilized. And then once we've stabilized, uh, you know, for a period of three months or, you know, three weeks, I think said three weeks, then we can look at life promotion. So it's one thing to save you. It's, it's one thing to get my, to stabilize my knee and to prevent any further damage. And now, what are the exercises to, to get it strong so that we can do some really cool things? And now that we've got it strong, uh, what are some, now I can, let's talk about running. Let's talk about jogging. Let's talk about, you know, uh, uh, kickboxing, you know, things like that. Like, how do we promote the strength of that knee? And, and a really cool uh, quote that he says, hope is gained by asking is the future 100% awful. Yeah, so when we when we are in that acute stage of 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 the trauma, you know, we could lose all hope, right? The pain is so great, it feels unbearable. The pressure feels is so heavy. Um, it's like a semi truck on our chest. But we can gain hope by asking, is the future 100% awful and unbearable? Or is it 98? It, it, you know, because what we're looking for is it that that if you say it's 98% off, okay, talk to me about that 2%. That is hope. Even if it's 1%, that is hope. That's all we need is that small window of hope, right? And uh, what he when he talks about using our uh, suicidal experience as an opportunity for growth, he says... Ask if you want to, he goes, what is the last thing that you would give up or the only thing that you couldn't give up if, uh, you know, you were to end your life? And I think this is a great question because a lot of times when people think about ending their lives, they think about all the things that people could have. They're like, ah, you could have that, throw that away. I don't care about that. But there's typically one thing that we want to hold on to or that we want it to be the the one thing that we give away to a specific person. And we can use that as the entryway for hope, right? Because for you to say, like for me, it would be books. For me to say, all right, you can, you can have my papers, my clothes, like I don't care about any of that stuff, but my books, I want my books to go to such and such. Okay, so now I know that you value your books and you value this person that you're giving it to. Those are two people or two things that 
we know now are anchors for you and that you care about. And we can use those as a way of, ex- of lessening the pain, lessening the burden, lessening the, the pressure, and expanding our hope and way in, right? Um, and so we can use the description of uh, us wanting to end our life or somebody else as a way in to figuring out how to promote their life, right? I can promote my life. Uh, What is it about books? Is it the characters? Are there specific books that I'm anchored to? What is it about this person that you love so much? And how do we use those when we explore those things? How do we use that for life promotion, right? Um, When we talk about, he goes on further to say, Use intergenerational trauma to not just discuss to not just discuss the trauma, but also to highlight the strength and resilience that occurred. So you know, being African American, being black, you know, there's so much talk about slavery and a trauma of slavery and the bloodline. It's like, but also the fact that we're still here. So to highlight the resilience, the 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 teamwork, the community, the um, the creativity the collaboration, like all those different things that are reasons why we are still here and, and you know, just showing our, our strength and our even the hope that we had with given all the traumas of being displaced and the physical abuse, et cetera, et cetera. So looking at your, you know, all our families have some type of intergener- of, of trauma that's linked to it, whether it's an eating disorder or abuse or neglect or, you know, uh, death, uh, the death of a loved one, using that to, sh- to highlight the other side of the trauma, the strength, the resilience, the grit, uh, and the growth that has taken place. We said we have to go beyond recovery to growth and improving quality of life. And, and so I just want to remind you of that, of like when we're having these basically what I gather from this, when we're having suicidal ideation, um, instead of repressing it, 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 find a controlled space with a therapist or coach or someone, or even in your journal where you can talk it out, right? If you've planned it out and then we can explore that to find out what our anchors are, what gives us hope, what we really value, what we really believe in. You know, the fact that I want I want to get I would give my books to a specific person shows one that I value books, but two that I value uh, connection, human connection, I value relationships, um, and you know, some other things that, that could be delved into. So recognizing what your anchors are, what you love, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what gives you purpose we can discover that through our suicidal ideation. We can discover that through our fears, through our challenges, through our traumas. If you found any value in this episode, take seven seconds and share it with one other person so that you too can have a dialogue and communicate about it. And through communication, we can build a community and through community, we can get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Thank you for liking, for sharing. Um, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the 988 or any of the other 800 numbers that are listed in all the show notes. You can chat, talk, text. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.